So uh, we are doing our teaching, continuing in the book of Matthew. The true church is built on the rock. Of course, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would like you to just take a few minutes. I know I started with a little rambunctiousness here. But I would like you to prepare to receive from God. God is here to speak to you individually through his word. So please, 15 seconds, ask God to talk to your heart today. What does he have for you? And for just a moment, put the world away and ready to receive. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that you've poured out upon each believer. I thank you for your Holy Spirit that convicts of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And I thank you for the Holy Spirit that allows us to receive the truths from God. And may we receive those truths today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand as we read the word of God together. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I'll give you the keys of the kingdom, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. This is the word of God. Thank you, Father, for your word. Holy Father, please speak to us things that you want us to know. Lord, we want to hear from you today. Hear from you, our God, speaking to our hearts, things that you want us to learn. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. As you know, Jesus is the promised king. Jesus has been teaching uh, in the Gentile area, and from the Gentile area, he goes back to the Jewish part, and he's immediately confronted by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and they want to see another sign. Show us a sign that you are the Messiah. And Jesus says, you will not see any sign except Jonah, three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. They were always seeking after a sign. And we remember last time we met, over and over and over again, Jesus demonstrated that he was the, indeed the Messiah. And I don't if you remember the, the, the wording in Luke chapter, uh, four, chapter 19, verse 42, it says, If you had known, he, Jesus expects each generation to know who he is and what to expect about his coming. He had a first coming. He has a second coming. They should have known him on the first coming. And folks, we should know him at the second coming. There are signs that demonstrate that he is coming. He's returning. So Jesus said this to his generation. If you had known even you, especially in this your day, when he came into Jerusalem to receive his kingship, you should have known this. The things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Now then Jerusalem, he told them that Jerusalem would be destroyed because they did not know the time of their visitation. And Jesus holds us again responsible for knowing when he's coming. And remember last time we, we uh, handed out Ted Betts' handout, had 12 signs that Jesus was returning, 12 signs that are happening right before our eyes today. I'll share with you just a couple of them. Number one, Israel is back in the land. 2,500 years of dispersion. No nation in the history of the world has been displaced from their land, reoccupied their land. That happened on May 14, 1948. It was a miracle of God, a miracle of God. Never happened before, never will happen since. The ability to destroy life on earth, it's happening in our generation with nuclear weapons, biological weapons, chemical weapons. Jesus said, lest these days be cut short, no flesh would be saved alive. Folks, we qualify. We're in the generation for the return of Jesus. There'll be a technological explosion. There'll be, a, there'll be an explosion of uh, uh, this push towards globalism, political, economic, and religious. There, we have this thing called, let's save Mother Earth, and we forget about the true God. Remember, Gia, Gia, G-I-A, that's Earth God. That's Mother Earth, and people will worship Mother Earth, give their life for Mother Earth, and they'll reject the true God. Talk about deception. Now, I want to talk to you a little bit about this technology explosion in 
Daniel chapter 4, there's going to be a graph that comes up on the screen. And in Daniel chapter 4, we read this. But you, Daniel, now this is, Daniel's words are prophetic, talking about when the Messiah is going to come, what to expect, and that sort of thing. Daniel was told to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Now, you must admit that we are living in an age like no other where people are running to and fro. We are inundated with pace, 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 and more pace. We cook our foods fast. We microwave our foods. We have microwave commercials. We have everything designed for fast, fast, fast in our culture. And it's not conducive to our brains functioning properly. But also, the knowledge will explode. And I think that's the knowledge of the prophetic scripture as it's being re revealed to us, unfolding right before our eyes for those to have eyes to see and ears to hear the things of the Spirit. We know what's going to happen. But also this knowledge, this technology explosion. And I just wanted to demonstrate this. From the beginning of time, for humans on earth, it was very slow, very slow progress. Writing, water mill, gunpowder. And these are really hundreds and hundreds of years. And then we have a little bit of an explosion as we go into 18th and particularly the 19th, 20, 21st century. It just skyrockets until today you have a smartphone. In 2007, the smartphone came out and it got in everybody's hands and that changed all of us. We now overloaded with information. We have advances in biotech, nanotech, artificial intelligence, computer human interfacing, fusion, fission, M-theory. I don't know what M-theory is, but the guy wrote it down. So M-theory, smartphones, virtual payments. The, the technology is mind-boggling and it's all in preparation for an antichrist that is coming. This is all real. This isn't make-believe. This isn't fairy tale. Things that were predicted thousands of years ago are coming to fruition now, right in our lifetime. We folks are in the generation that qualifies for Jesus to come back. The, the antichrist is, is on the horizon. Now, for Jesus, he's spending his, his days in dealing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. They want to set traps for him. And when they try to set a trap for him and they oppose him, then he moves away. It wasn't his time to die yet. And so now he's going to go into this place called Caesarea Philippi. And there we start our story today. Upon this rock, we'll build our church. And the question of the ages is, in verse 13, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? You know, every world religion acknowledges Jesus as being someone significant, a prophet, a great teacher, an avatar, an enlightened one, that sort of thing. But they all deny the deity of Christ. They all deny that he is the son of God. And they all deny that he is the only way to God. Who is Jesus? Verse 13, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? That's the key question of the ages for every human that is born into this world. Key question, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? And the second question is this. It was asked by Pilate to the raging crowd who were screaming, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said these words, what shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? What shall I do? What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? You can't ignore Jesus. You can't ignore him. He claimed to be the Messiah. He demonstrated that he was the Messiah. He did things that only Messiah would do. He is the son of God. He is the Lord of all. He is the great I am. He is the great I. He's the, he's the God of Exodus chapter 3. All world religions, folks, are false. Only Christianity has a savior. So much of the world is deceived. Now, C.S. Lewis wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, in the 1940s, this question was asked, are Jesus' claims true or false? And his statement was this, was Jesus a liar, a lunatic, or is he Lord? That's what every human has to deal with. Was he a madman, just speaking crazy stuff? Is he, was he a lunatic? Was he a liar? Or is he the Lord? People must deal with these questions. This question is posed. Jesus, is, is, who do men say that I am, is posed in a place, in a significant place. And I'm going to show you a couple pictures in a second. They'll come up in a second. But the setting is Caesarea Philippi. 
and they're looking at this giant rock face. And on this rock face are carved out demonic images. There's also a, an opening that is called the gates of hell. And he's going to play off of these, these, word, these pictures here the, that he's seeing. So where, what, where, where are we now? Well, the map will come up. He's, he's had this hassle with the, the scribes and the Pharisees. He makes his escape, and I don't like to say escape, but he moves away because it's not his time for them to kill him yet. And he goes to Caesarea Philippi where our story starts. Now, next week, or actually two weeks from now, he's going to be at Mount Hermon on the Mount of Transfiguration. Actually, no one knows the exact mountain. It is postulated that since this is close to here, that this is where the transfiguration took place. No one actually knows the mountain, but that's to give you some some landmarks as to where we are. Now, the next picture is going to be really, when you go to Israel, you actually go to this place in Caesarea Philippi. It's a big tourist place, but there's demonic gods are all over, the, all over this place, and they are worshipped. They are worshipped over and over. Thousands of people come here, and these gods are pan gods. They're, pan is a Greek god, a Greek god of nature and hunting and that sort of thing. And this area was known as the gates of hell. This is where the sacrifice was given. If the sacrifice is given and then blood comes flowing out of a river that comes out of here, then it was rejected. If the sacrifice is given and there's no blood, then it was accepted by Pan. Now, this is where we are with, with Jesus and his disciples are facing this, this big granite rock with these false gods. That's the picture. So, with that, I have a question for you. Why do so many people gravitate to the worship of false gods? They will gravitate to worship a false god in a moment and ignore the true God. And I think this is the answer. The false gods oftentimes give people what they want. The Baals, the Ashtras, the Moleks. They would give the people what they want. But they're ignoring the God of creation. The God who is transcendent. Most of these things... Say that God is in the, in the plant. They're in the flower. It's pantheism where God is in everything. Look, God created everything. God is transcendent above his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God, it says in, in Psalm 19.1. Gives evidence to who he is. So we must deal with this question. Who do men say that I am? What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? Now, the disciples are going to answer the question in verse 14 and 15. Watch their answer. And they said, now watch the answer here. Now, these are great men. Notice people are viewing Jesus as a man, not as God. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. These are great men. And then Jesus looks at them right between the peepers, and he says this. Who do you say that I am? Picture that right now, Jesus speaking to you. Who do you say that I am? There will be one day where you will stand before Jesus Christ. And give an account of your life. Hopefully you're going to be clothed in his righteousness. That you're saved. Otherwise you're going to be cast into hell. These are real things. Real things. So the question is this. Who is Jesus? The majority folks. The majority of the world. Are confused about who Jesus is. They simply do not believe. That he is God. And do not believe he is their savior. Now, again, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, great men, but he is not God, and he is not the Savior. Oh, yes, he is. Please catch the significance of this. Again, Caesarea Philippi, all these false gods, that, that rock face, and the majority are worshiping these false gods. The majority, folks, are loving their little itty-bitty God created in their image. And, and when I say gods, these are idols. These are anything that you put ahead of the true God, it can be your God. It can be a God of work. It can be the God of sports. It can be the God of food. It can be the God of sex. It can be the God of anything that you put before God. When we never have, we never make ba decisions based on the majority, folks. Hopefully, you know that. We don't take a poll to make a, a decision in Christianity. What is truth is truth, even if the majority deny it. We are never base our decisions on majority. And now this statement is going to come up, and I hope that you indelibly imprint this statement on your minds. It is doubtful that the majority are ever correct. Okay, now, I don't usually do this, but today we're going to do this. We're going to repeat this together. 
it is doubtful that the majority are ever correct. Hopefully you will believe that. I don't care what the polls say. I care what Jesus says in his word. That's what I care about, the majority. In God's economy, the polls and what the majority think are meaningless. Now, why are so many people contrary to God? Why is the majority so easily swayed away from God? And I think you might have the answer to this, even though you don't think you have the answer. You have the answer to this. The majority are, from the, are, are living in the kingdom of darkness majority of this world are serving their king knowingly or unknowingly Satan. Now, people will deny that. But if you aren't born again of the Spirit, if you aren't in the family of God, you're in another kingdom. And that kingdom is run by a different king. And you are subject to that king. Knowingly or unknowingly, most people are deceived. Most people have a secular worldview think like and sound like and smell like the world system that is run by Satan. The majority call right wrong and wrong right. We see that all over the place today. With, 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 with gay marriage, we see that with transgenderism, we see that with abortion, right, wrong, and wrong, right. And the majority without God, without God and without a biblical worldview are blinded by the truth. Now, I lost my pointer here. Hold on. Got it. Found it. Okay. Now, I have two pictures here. I want to show you what the worldview is. Now, remember, the worldview is the lens in which you view your world. Your worldview depends upon your teaching. Your te what you have been taught. Your teaching will determine your worldview. Your worldview will determine your values. And then your values will determine your conduct. Now, we are, under, we are subject to what we are taught in the Word of God. When you go to university, many people are indoctrinated to a system that is very different than the Word of God. It used to be that the Bible was very significant in universities. Not now. Not now. This, this thing has all changed. So many people are indoctrinated to a worldview that is absolutely the antithesis of, of, of the biblical worldview. So this is what we see today. People believe in gay marriage, euthanasia, abortion, pedophilia, racism, gender issues. This is a secular worldview. That is very much in contrast to a biblical worldview, which is based upon this, God's word. This is what has always been the struggle, and this is where Satan has always attacked right from the beginning. In Genesis chapter 3, has God thus said? Has he really said? Does he really mean what he says? That's what you have to deal with. That's what we're dealing with here today. Now, Rick Warren has a quote. This is like historic. This is the first time I've ever quoted Rick Warren, okay? But he did have a good quote here. Watch what he says. And I think this is a good one. A lie doesn't become the truth. Wrong doesn't become right. And, e and evil doesn't become good just because it is accepted by a majority. Now, Rick, I'll give you a star for this one. Good job. There's some truth there. So it doesn't, again, it doesn't make a hoot what the world thinks, what the majority thinks. Everything matters what God says, and it's imprinted in his word. Now, Peter's going to come up with the right answer. It's going to be a yay Peter moment. So verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That is a profound statement that mo the majority of the world denies. You are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. You are the Christ. That is the Greek word for the anointed one. Messiah is the Hebrew word. The anointed one. The one that is going to come and save the world from its sins. But do you know the Jewish people had a different view of Messiah? They had a very different view. They did not consider Messiah to be God. They did not consider Messiah to be pre-existent son of God. What they thought was the Messiah is going to be a great military leader and a political leader. And what the Jewish people wanted was rescue from Rome and to elevate Israel above all the other nations. They needed a savior before they would have a king. And you know what? Jesus came the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We deal with that Jesus right now. This is called the church age. This is the age of grace. This is the age where we can receive or reject the salvation message. But there will be a day, and I think it's very soon, I believe it's on our horizon, the near horizon, 
where in Revelation chapter 19, verses 11 through 16, Jesus comes back, and what is he riding on? He's not riding on the donkey, the servant's animal, like when he was going to receive his kingship going into his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. No, he's riding on a white horse, which is emblematic of a warrior, a returning warrior. And he puts down Antichrist and has puts down the false prophet. And, the, and they, throw, they get thrown into the lake of fire. And then the earth dwellers that are in rebellion against God are immediately killed. And then Jesus is going to start his kingdom. But on his robe and on his thigh are written these words, King of kings and Lord of lords. Do you know that there will be a time when every single human ever created, every angel, every demonic rebelling angel, will bow before God and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That will happen. For each one of us, willingly, willingly we bow before our Lord. You are the Lord Jesus Christ. You are my Savior. Thank you for saving me. The other ones will be forced to bow. And they will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now thinking about the majority, Peter said something the world vehemently denies. That you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. The majority deny, again and again, I want to say this, the, de the deity of Christ. That Jesus is God incarnate. And again, the majority are wrong. Wrong. Listen to these statistics. This is rather amazing. There are 1.9 billion Muslims. And that's growing, okay? That's growing. Now, they look at Jesus as being a great prophet, second to Muhammad. You know, they believe in the virgin birth. They believe a lot of positive things about Jesus, but they don't believe he's the son of God. They don't believe that he died on the cross for their sins. Do you know there's 15 million Jewish people? 15 million. They don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. There's 1.2 billion Hindus. Now, they welcome Jesus in. He can be one of their gods. Remember, they're polytheistic. They have thousands of gods. We can just welcome him in. But they don't recognize him as the true God who takes away the sins of the world. There's 400 million Buddhists who believe that Jesus is an enlightened, wise teacher, but not divine. There are 500 million athe atheists in the world. A, without, theist, theo, God. Do not believe in God. Now, listen to this statistics. Now, most of you are actually checked in, so that's very good at this point. They still be checked in, but please hear this. There are 2.5 billion people in the world that claim to be Christian. It's so the largest group. Now, out of that, the true church, real, born-again believers, spirit-filled, true followers of Jesus Christ, out of that 2.5 Billion, they claim Christianity in, 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 in our country, in, in the world, excuse me. There are two to three hundred million that are actually believed to be born again. This is from the, uh, gosh, I forgot the name of the place, uh, Probe Ministries. Okay, so that's 12%. 12% of the 2.5 billion are, are, are Christians. Now, there's 8 billion people on the planet. 8 billion people on the planet. 300 million Christians. That's 3.75% of the world is Christian. Now, think about those statistics. Now, I want to share you with some, something out of the Christian Post, written in 2021, talking about American Christianity. Quote, nearly 70% of Born again, those are the ones that I think are, if you're, if you're born again, you're really a Christian. But these are people that say they're born again, okay? So 70% of born again Christians disagree with the biblical position that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, that's the condition of the church in America, okay? That's 70%. 80% of all Americans surveyed in a 2018 study believe, believe in God only 56% believe in the one that's described in the Bible. Of an estimated, now listen to this one, 176, an estimate there's 176 million American adults who identify as Christians. 
just 6% or 15 million actually found to hold a biblical worldview. Folks, if you are a real Christian, even among Christians, alleged Christians, you are in the vast minority. 6%. 6% in America. Apostasy abounds. And we know that in Scripture that the apostasy will occur, the falling away from the faith will occur prior to Jesus coming back. This is a massive falling away from the faith. There's never been these types of statistics. Never been. Matthew 24, 37, Jesus put it right on the line. He says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the second coming of the Son of Man. What was Noah's days like? Going hither, thither, going wherever they wanted to go and ignoring the true God. And evil abounded. Nobody was doing right in God's eyes. In Luke 18, 8, when Jesus, when the Son of Man comes, Jesus says this, will he find faith on the earth? Folks, the end-time church is the Laodicean church. You've heard it a thousand times here. That is what we see today. There are so few that are true believers and so many that are deceived and thinking that they are believers. And we see this all over the place. Now, as you can see, it is very doubtful that the majority are correct. I want to show you something. What world leaders at their deaths said about the future. Now, this is actually from Jeff, Jeff Gilman. And he sent me this, and I was looking for a place to put it in, so it's going in here. So put it up here. Jeff gets the kudos. Before Muhammad, This is before he died. Muhammad said, I don't know the purpose of life. Buddha said to his followers, seek for the truth. Confucius said, I am not the way. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, I want you to think about something else. You can believe and be very outspoken about God. Okay? You can say, it, there used to be, a, they'd ask me to say a prayer at our, at our, at our uh, hospital banquet that they had at the end of the year. And I said, well, look, I have to mention, I'll be mentioning Jesus. And they excluded me. They, don't, they want God. They don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to offend anybody. And I want you to ask yourself, why are so many offended by the name of Jesus? Josh McDowell answers this question for us. Watch this. Why don't the names of Buddha and Muhammad Confucius offend people? The reason is that these others didn't claim to be God, but Jesus did. Jesus said unequivocally, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is one of the seven I am statements spoken in the book of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the, I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. You are the branches. I mean, he just over and over, I am, I am, I am the way. I am the guy in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses was asked, God, who shall I say is sending me? And he says, the I am is sending you. This is Jesus, folks, the second person of the Trinity, the one who actually did the creation in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Colossians chapter 1, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that has been made. Jesus Christ is God, clear and simple. Now, verse 17, the truth about Jesus will be revealed by God the Father. Jesus answered and said to him, Peter, Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now, this is a big statement, and I want you to think about something. Peter didn't come up with this on his own. It had to be revealed to him by God, okay? Now, that's an important concept. No human can convince another human of this message of Jesus being the Savior. We are used in the process, we are, we are to be evangelized, but God is the one that prepares every heart. No one will believe this unless something is happening in them. God must remove the blinders. He must soften the heart. He must change the person. No human can change a heart. And by the way, you cannot save anybody by begging, pleading, manipulating, whatever else you try to do to get them saved. Now, again, you are to be an example. You are to give the word. 
and allow God to use the word in, that, in, in any situation, but it is God that's going to change the hearts. Now watch this. God is the initiator of salvation. Salvation is pure and simple, a miracle of God. God opens blind eyes, softens hard hearts. He is the miracle worker. God does all the work. You're not saved by works at all. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. Not of works, lest any should boast. Now watch what Paul says to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by works of righteousness, but by his mercy, he has saved us. Do you hear that? Not by, by his mercy, he has saved us. God does the work. But folks, we are not off the hook. We're not off the hook. Human responsibility is this. Believe and receive the gift. It's offered to you. It's handed to you. Jesus says, I'm real. I please. Actually, there's a pleading here. God wants you to believe. He desires all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. So the truth is placed out there. And I think he affects each person to allow them to know the truth at some point. At some point, he allows you to know the truth. John 1.12 says this. It's our key verse for this. Yet all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. That whole John chapter 3 is about being born again for real. Born again of the Spirit for real. Now, when you say born again for real and believing for real, you know what that belief is? You know this word. I've used it many times, so I didn't put it up here. But it is pistio in the Greek. And it doesn't just mean mental assent. It just doesn't mean that Jesus lived, he died on a cross, and he was buried, and he rose again. Those are facts. You must receive it and take it into you. You must believe it and receive the gift of salvation. Now, that word believe means commit to, put your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior. Embedded in the word commit are two things, loyalty and fidelity, faithfulness. Think about this. Jesus Christ views the church as the bride. You are the bride of Christ. You are waiting for your bridegroom to come back for you. That'll be the rapture of the church, okay? Now, what is a bride to do while the bridegroom is away? You are to be committed to him. You are to be loyal to him. You are to be faithful to him. That is what we are to do. That's what real salvation is, folks. That's what real It isn't just saying, I believe, and then live any way that you want to live. Now, I know that there's carnal Christians. I know there's a big... I, I, I realize that in, in the book of Corinthians and that sort of thing. But folks, carnal Christians have no assurance if they're really in the family. You know you're in the family if you're obeying the teachings of Jesus. Again, we can't do it perfect. What is it? It's direction, not perfection. That's right. We're in a direction. So, verse 18, Jesus is going to say something quite interesting. The church is built on this rock. This rock, now what is this rock? And I think it's Jesus. Verse 18, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So what does the rock refer to? Well, there's three views. Two of them I did not put on the screen. The true one I did put on the screen. That'll come up in a second. So the first view is this. This rock is the apostle Peter himself. That is false. The whole Catholic Church believes that. The church up until the Reformation believed that. The church is not built upon the Apostle Peter. Secondly, this rock refers to Peter's statement, his confession that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, that could have some, could have some merit. But the third one that I believe is correct is Jesus himself is the rock. He is the foundation of the church. The church is built upon him. And notice that it says, upon this rock I will build my church. It's not, it's not the pastor's church. It's not Chuck Smith's church. It's not Chuck Swindoll's church. It is Christ's church. It is built upon his church. And the three things that reasons that we have church is to number one, glorify God. Number two, edify, build up the saints for works of service, helping one another. And the third one is evangelize 
the world. That's the purpose of the church. Not for you to be entertained, not for you to get a pep talk and how wonderful and terrific your life is and how you deserve to be healthy and wealthy and have everything in the world here. No, it is to come to know him, love him, glorify him, serve him. That's the purpose of the church. So the rock, built on the rock. Notice the word usage here. You are Peter, Petros, Petros. And on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Petros means a stone or a pebble. Little stone, little pebble. Petra is a large rock formation. Again, Jesus is looking at this large rock formation. And he says, you're a little stone, Peter, but upon this rock pointing at himself, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, proofs that Jesus is the rock, just very quickly, three areas of scripture. First Peter chapter 2, 4 and 2, 6, coming to him as a living stone, rejected by men, chosen by God and precious. Verse 6, a chief cornerstone. Ephesians 2.20, the chief cornerstone, the stabilizing rock of the church. And in 1 Corinthians 10.4, when the Jews were going through the wilderness and they didn't have water and God provided the rock, that rock was Jesus. Watch what it says. They drank of that spiritual rock that followed them. That rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10.4. Jesus is the rock, folks, that the church is built on. It's not built on a human. It is built on Christ himself. Now, what about the gates of hell that shall not prevail against it? Remember, prevail is overpower. Satan throughout the ages has tried to overpower the church, tried to eliminate Christianity right out of the gate. Rome tried to kill every Christian that came in sight in the, in the Colosseum, lit them up on the highways, and Christianity still grew. Persecution from without in a church still stands. Deception in a church still stands. Major deception that we're experiencing today in the true church still stands. And will do so until it is taken out. Remember, you are the remnant church here for such a time as this. You are the remnant church, the few. A remnant is a few. And you'll be taken out at the proper time. But while you're here, you are the, what the Scripture calls the restrainer. Remember 2 Thessalonians 2.7. The restrainer will do so until it is taken out. The, the restrainer is the Holy Spirit-filled church that will be taken out at the rapture. Now, there's a guy called Baruch Korman. K-O-R-M-A-N. And he has a lot of messages on YouTube. And he's a Jewish rabbi messianic. Okay, he's a really good teacher. He says this, Jesus will build his church on Pan's rock. Satan's kingdom, and there is nothing Satan can do about it. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And by the way, the gates of hell will not hold back Messiah's kingdom. And I'll tell you, that's a great thought. Doesn't matter how many he tries to kill, the church still stands triumphant. In verse 19 through 20, the keys of the kingdom, what are they? Now, there's a lot of dispute on what this is. So I'll give you the best attempt I have at it. So, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I was talking to Peter. I'll give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whenever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. So keys. Now you know what keys do. They open doors. This is to open doors of salvation to different people groups. What about binding? What does that mean? Well, binding means forbid. Now the actual Greek structure of this sentence goes this way. What is bound on earth has already been bound in heaven. Peter's not the one running around on, with this binding thing. He's just in agreement with what's already occurring in heaven. Binding on earth is in line with what already happened in heaven. Charles Ryrie, a theologian, will help us with this. Heaven, not the apostles, initiates all binding and all loosing. Peter, now this is, this is the key thing here to know. Peter, with the keys of the kingdom, will open the door of salvation to all people groups. 
all saved are part of Messiah's millennial kingdom. Now, think about what Peter did. Peter was present at three locations, three different times. Peter is present at each of these events for salvation of these groups. It starts with the Jew. Remember, the principle is always to the Jew first. Jesus went to the Jew first. Paul went to the Jew first. It was always to the Jew first, and then it was to the Gentiles. Secondly, so he was there in Acts chapter 2.14 at Pentecost. And the king, then the kingdom was open to the Samaritans in Acts 8.14 through 17. And then the kingdom was open to all people, of all people, the Gentiles at Cornelius' house in Acts 10, 44 through 45. So the kingdom invitation was open to all people groups on earth. All humans are savable. No one is preferenced over another. All humans can be saved. Now, Peter has the privilege of introducing all people groups to this kingdom. Now, Jesus, in verse 20, Jesus says something strange. Don't tell anybody about me. When he starts his ministry, tell everybody about me. Now he says, don't tell anybody about me. What's going on? Well, the opposition has increased. He's nearing the end of his ministry. So he doesn't want these guys to try to take him prematurely. Jesus came into this world on time. He will exit this world on time. God's time. Now, extrapolate from that. You came into this world on time. You will exit this world on time. Not your time. Not your mama's time, your daddy's time, your brother's sister's time, your friend's time, God's time. So, in between, don't worry. Don't bite your nails worrying about when am I going to exit. Just look at it this way. You get to exit. You get to exit. You get to escape. Yeah, that's a better way to look at it. Now, let's close. Now, remember, Jesus is the rock that the church is built on. And there is no rock, folks. There is no rock like our God. That is the song. And I don't have time to sing it to you or you'd have to endure it. But The gospel of the kingdom has gone out. Peter has fulfilled his mission. You have a mission also to give the gospel to people. That is your mission. The kingdom offered to Israel was rejected and put on hold. The Jewish nation, by the vast majority, rejects Jesus as the Messiah. There are a few here and there that get saved, but the majority deny that he's the Messiah. We are living in this age now. Now, the kingdom was offered. Now, the kingdom has been taken back, and we are in an age called the mystery kingdom. The mystery kingdom. Now, what is the mystery kingdom? Something that is not revealed in the Old Testament, but is revealed in the New Testament. So this is the mystery kingdom age. This is the church age. The Old Testament didn't know about this. This is revealed in the New Testament. So, that is Jew and Gentile in one body, the body of Messiah. John Wolver helps us with this. The present spiritual reign of the king during the period of his physical absence from the earth prior to his second coming. That, folks, is the church age. Jew, Gentile, all of us in one body, the body of Messiah, the church, the bride of Christ. Now, would you admit that the true church, real believers that aren't going along with what the world wants us to go along with, are looked at as a little bit crazy by the world? They, look, they think we're weird. Well, we are weird. We're, we're different. We're peculiar. The Scripture says we're a weird, peculiar people. Okay, we are. Let's admit it. But humanistic thinking goes this way. Now, if you're not saved, you'd go right along with this. Humanity should bind together to save the planet. Humans are going to say, you've got to be kidding me. Humans are destroying this thing. They're not going to save it. They're not going to save it. Socialism is the best form of government. Let's get rid of capitalism, all for one and one for all. It doesn't work. People don't want to work under socialism. What that communist system produces is people wanting to do less and less because they get the same amount of money. They tried that in the colonies when they first started. Let's plant some gardens. We'll all work on it together. And they realized, well, I'm going to get a harvest if I work or not. So nobody worked and they didn't get a harvest. The Indians had to save them. 
How about this one? It makes sense that many roads, a humanistic view, many roads lead to God. Just choose your own way. You can even have the good person road. How about this one? That's really being promoted today. Own nothing and be happy. That's the government God. Own nothing and allow the government God to take care of you. Doesn't make sense. How about love the one you're with? Doesn't matter what sex they are, gender they are. Doesn't matter about anything about the marriage covenant. Forget that. Just love the one you're with. Because God is love. Folks, God is just and God is holy. He is a God of love. Strange. The true church is built on the rock. Messiah's kingdom of light, folks, is diametrically opposed to Satan's humanistic kingdom of darkness. Different values, different worldview, different kings, different destinies. Make no mistake, Jesus is love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He is love. God is love. Jesus is love. Jesus made a statement in John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this than to lay down his life for his friends. Now, remember that word friends. And then he makes this statement in the next verse. You are my friends. I laid down my life for you, my friends. You are a friend of Jesus. Everyone that's a believer is a friend of Jesus. You are my friends if, if, that's a third class if, remains to be seen. That's what a third class if is. Remains to be seen if you do whatever I command you. Are you obeying the precepts? Are you obeying what Jesus says? Are you loyal to him? Are you faithful to him? That's really what it's teaching. People are simply blinded, folks, to the truth. God will use the gospel of grace to open blinded eyes. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Folks, the gospel message is so simple. Jesus came, died on a cross for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day, victorious over the grave, victorious over the sin curse, and that anyone who believes in him can have everlasting life, puts their trust in him, commits to him. That's what it says. Acts 16.31 could not be more clear. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Christian worldview, folks, answers questions that every human has. How do we get here? You know the answer. Most of the world's going, it evolved, it evolved, it evolved, it evolved, it evolved. No, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's simple. It's a statement of fact. Why am I here? To come to know Christ, to come to know the Creator. Why is there evil? Man rebelled against God. And that's why sin and death and evil. Why doesn't he stop it right now? He will stop it. He will come back and establish his kingdom. What is the way out of here? Well, Christ. Where are we going after we die? Every person deals with this. You know why? Because God has written eternity on the hearts of every person. You can go to the most little dinky island someplace where somebody hasn't ever been, been discovered and they have something in them that says something more is out there than this. Every human has eternity written on their hearts. Christians have to answer this. Christian worldview answers these questions. Remember the two questions posed to you earlier? Who do men say that I am? And what will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? You can't escape this. No human can escape this. This is your life. This is your life right now. Your timeline, your time to either reject or receive Christ, you have this dash of time to determine your eternal destiny. It really is the truth. How will you use your dash? How will you use this time between entrance and exit date? Born, dash, died. Everyone's going to have it. Everyone has a dash, except the raptured folks. Jesus came that you may have an abundant dash, an abundant life. Remember John 10, 10. I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. The Christian life isn't like a, oh, it's a drag, this big anchor on me of Christianity. I got to drag it around. No, no, it frees you. It frees you. It frees you from the entanglements of this world. 
You have, there, there's a picture here. It's going to come up. Born, dash, died. Don't waste your dash. Don't live a whole life saying, I'm going to do it my way. Forget that song, Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. Hit the highway, doing it your way. No, that is wrong thinking, wrong thinking. Psalm 39, verses 4 said this, Lord, make me to know my end and what is the measure of my days, that I may know how frail I am. You have made my days as handbreadths, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man in his best state is but a vapor. Here for a moment, as it says in James, and gone. And you're not remembered anymore. But you'll never be forgotten by your God if on that dash you said yes to Jesus Christ. Say yes. And by the way, those who believe in Jesus never really die. Did you know this? They get promoted. You graduate. That's your greatest day. We're all weeping. Oh, oh, and that's real. Grief is real. Separation causes that grief, but it's temporary. It's temporary for the believer. You're promoted. John eleven twenty five says this. Oh boy, I'm the resurrection. I'm out of time. So I'll skip that one. Jesus is real. Heaven is real. Hell is real. God's word is true. What will you do with Jesus who is called the Christ? There's going to be two pictures that come up here on the screen right now. Peter and Silas are in prison. There's a great earthquake. The prison doors fly open. The prison jailer is in a panic because he's afraid that they've all escaped and he's going to have his life taken from him. And then Paul, excuse me, Paul and Silas. So Paul says to him, he cries out these words, what must I do to be saved? Just like the swimmer, just holding out to life, drowning in life. What must I do to be saved? And I can just see Jesus coming down and grabbing and pulling you out into safety. And Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. You are loved, folks. You are a loved minority. God loves you. Oh, how he loves you and me. Oh, how he loves you and me. He gave his life. What more could he give? Oh, how he loves you. Oh, how he loves me. Oh, how he loves you and me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to study the inerrant, infallible word of the living God. Thank you, Lord. Please do your work in each one of our hearts. I know you've spoken to every person here. Whenever your word goes out, it does not return void as the promise that you have given from your word. So, Lord, help us to receive from you the things that you've given to us today. And may we not tarry, may we not put off what you are speaking to us about. This is our time. We don't know how long our dash is. May we live all out for you, our King. In Jesus' name, amen.